businesses again from about like flexible working need to think about how do we have diverse teams where we have great talented subject matter experts that have got a similar title ranking kudos package the whole lot no. as the person who's managing that team but they don't have to manage people On today's show, we're talking to Carolyn Stebbings, the MD of Code Worldwide, and we're discussing inclusion and talent and careers, and maybe how companies might have to have a little bit of a rethink of their traditional structures. I'm David Savage, and this is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast for tech enthusiasts and peers, sharing insight from across the industry. Enjoy the show. So, as, uh, as we've said, Carolyn is our guest today, and joining me for today's episode is Jack Pierce. Hello, hello. How are you? Very well, thank you, Dave. Um, yeah. I've just recorded a bit of hero worship for Friday's show. Hero? Who, who are you worshipping? Well... Worship might be slightly overstating it, but we um, I've just recorded a very short interview to go on to the end of Friday's show mm-hmm. uh, with Robbie Simpson, the guy who won the Young Fram Marathon. You know, that race will be banging oh, wow. on about for nine months. Yeah. How fast so, did he do it? Uh, just under three hours. Fucking hell. Is he, is, has, <laughs> has he augmented his whole body? Does he have um, human limbs still or...? It is slightly incredible. I mean, the reason that we're talking to him on Friday is that uh, Adele Anderson is our main featured guest, who's the CEO and founder of Imagine Active, which is a, a, a fitness tech app using wow. basically audio stories to help you run, do circuits and yoga. And I thought, instead of having a piece of tech news, let's talk to the Young Frau Marathon runner, uh, winner rather, and talk about running and the benefits for health and how he got into it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sport and fitness special on Friday. We're, we're nearly pivoting into our dream, Dave, of a sport and tech podcast, aren't we? We're so nearly there at this point. <laughs> Apart from the fact I really don't want to talk about Newcastle right now. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. And look, I don't need to moan about Arsenal yet because we're recording this on Monday and I don't know if we're going to win or lose later. So I'm happy at the moment. <laughs> as long as Aubameyang scores, he's in my fantasy team. As long as he scores. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He. I mean, you know, we can lose and he'll still score. That's fine for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd rather you win, to be honest. You're my mate. But thanks, dude. No one wants um, United to win football games anyway, do they? Well, oh, oh God, yeah, it's United. Right? Yeah. It's my my wife's team. Oh no! Oh. Our whole family, Redmanx, are they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, in particular. See, that just dispels that myth that all Manchester United fans don't live in Manchester. There is. A oh no, that, that, that is a myth. That yeah. is a myth. The city is actually fairly evenly divided. It's just the city say that because they used to be the real fans from the real club. When now, in actual fact, they're just as bad as Man U. Yeah, it's, it's, when, it's when you're walking around London and you see little kids with city shirts on in Richmond. Yeah, it's yeah. very odd. What's going very on? odd. Anyway, anyway, talking of uh, children, children become apprentices, and we're talking about apprentices on uh, today's podcast. Oh, um, bada bing, bada boom. That was a little bit tenuous, but there we go. Uh, We're going to get into today's interview with Carolyn. Uh, She is the MD of Code Worldwide. This very much focuses on talent, on inclusion. Um, So we'll hand over to the interview, but myself and Jack will be back with some news and comment. And then we have got a bit of tech news later on in today's show. So today we are talking to Carolyn Stebbings. You're the managing director here at Code Worldwide, correct? Correct. I often mess people's titles up, so I'm kind of... 
quite pleased that I got that right. But Although at the same time, given that I spent a week with you in Paris, it would be fairly awful if I hadn't. Uh, well, I have more than one title, so oh. it does actually make it quite complex. Okay, fine. Um, so look, as, as I alluded to there, we got to know each other uh, in Paris during VivaTech earlier this year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how long have you been at Code Worldwide? I've been MD for three years, yep. but I've actually been part of the RAP group or part of Omnicom for 10. And what does managing director actually encompass? Because to me, MD is kind of a commercial role as much as anything in a lot of different businesses. Uh, I think, uh, particularly for Code Worldwide, it needed somebody to have a, a leadership role. Mm -hmm. When you look at the title, managing director, it's the person that is leading and managing the other directors or the other team leads. It needed someone that was not a pure play technician in this case. So our CEO and our head of strategy are both pure play technicians. Mm -hmm. It needed someone that had more of a, let's say, a cultural business and commercial mix that could engage with brands and end consumers as well as our staff in a more 360 way rather than it always being about this release and when it's going out and fixing the bugs and getting yep. the, the product out there. So before we come back into your role it's worthwhile just kind of understanding a bit more about Code Worldwide because there will be people who aren't familiar with the brand they might have heard of Omnicom mm -hmm. um, so how, do, how does that fit into the larger kind of group and, and what exactly is it that you, that you do here? So Code Worldwide is quite a unique business within yeah. Omnicom. We are aiming to be the uh, application layer of Omnicom, which allows us to work across all agencies within the Omnicom business family, as well as having our own direct commercial clients as well. What we do, so our services are, we have a marketing sciences team, which is basically data science practitioners and data strategy practitioners. There's a marketing technology unit, which is all about um, consulting, designing and building what a client might need, both within a uh, product perspective to deliver personalization at scale. It might be the right data environment. So for a lot of our clients, we build a data lakes or uh, consumer data platforms for them so that at speed, our clients can easily access what customers they have, what those customers are doing with them, those products, and therefore be able to connect with the right uh, product or service moving forward. Um, and then, so we have uh, marketing science, marketing technology, and data engineering. Mm -hmm. And data engineering are a whole load of subject matter experts that are running those systems for clients. So we have some clients that we just consult them and they do everything in-house. And we have other clients at the other end of the spectrum where we are their partner to say what they should be doing with their technology. And then we actually run it for them. So we work with their marketing teams, with their IT teams to actually get those communications out, whatever channel they happen to Typically, typically what do your clients look like? Are they SMEs? Are they large blue chips? Are they kind of emerging um, type businesses? A, a whole combination. Yeah. So we've got some big blue chip companies that have worked with us for 18 to 25 years because mm -hmm. the business that I run, whilst it's changed names a few times, has got 36 years of provenance behind it yep. with some some technicians in there that I, I gave two 30-year awards last year, which I think is also quite unusual in the tech business where everybody says, oh, you've got to be young and you've got to be millennial and all of that. Actually, you don't have to be. You can have some people out there that have got great brains and really good at finding mm. a new way. And then we've got some smaller startup organisations where, as an outsider, you might look at them and say, 
well, they've got all their own tech and they've got all their own platforms and they've been the first, say, in retail because they haven't had bricks and mortar and they're selling online. But what they need is they need subject matter experts who can come in and help them look at how they're communicating to people. How is their data being used effectively? How can their technology be optimised more? And the reason I say that is because we have a lot of clients that get stuck in the trading. You know, they're commercial businesses. They want to know, did I sell more today than I did yesterday? Am I selling more this week than I did last week? Oh dear, I'm not. I'll get my analysts looking at what we're looking at to change that here now in the next 24, 48 hours. I suppose the reason I ask that is that we're so obsessed with data across the sector as a whole. I would imagine it would be maybe the larger blue chip organisations that have a huge amount of unstructured data, maybe SMEs that have a lot of data but no real <clears throat> resource in-house to, to know what to do with it. And you kind of would imagine that younger businesses are building their business, understanding their data and with that all already in mind. But maybe that's maybe that's the wrong assumption. Uh- I think quite often the assumption is always about what we have and what has happened historically, Mm -hmm. which is why I often talk about brands working in a trading environment versus actually thinking, well, how can I be more predictive, but not based on what's happened before, based on trends that are up and coming? Because otherwise you're carrying on, optimising what you've done before, but not actually looking for something new. That takes time. And your day-to-day teams maybe don't have that time, that space, Maybe you've not got the specialisms that can do that. You can give that project to a team like mine. They can go away and come up with some, uh, say, a POC, get that out in the market, and then hand it over to your team. So it's not a black box solution. Most of the things we do are bespoke for our clients. Now, I find it interesting that you mentioned about the fact that you've got people who've been in the business for 30 years um, and not this uh, fascination with millennials and Gen Z and whatever else that you do hear in a lot of narratives. Because that is not particularly inclusive and doesn't lead to a wonderfully diverse environment. How much importance do you put on actually having some a few grey-haired people in there from, from building a diverse environment, as well as people from different genders, different minorities, etc., when it comes to helping to be an, an innovative partner for your clients? I think what it does is it builds trust with clients. I mean, if you've had a client for 25 years, then there'll be some people that they know are the backbone of delivering what they need. On the other hand, no client's going to want the same team all of that time. Mm. So we do make sure that we have grab programs, we have apprenticeship programs, we have new people coming into the business all the time. And it has been interesting, the last lot of apprentices we've taken in, when I've sat and done one-to-ones with them, what they've loved about it is that they've said, we didn't really know what the working environment's going to be like, because it's a bit of a shock for people coming straight from school or uni and then they say we thought it would all be people only a few years older than us and you've got people that work for you that have been here 10 15 20 years and we're learning something from them that we didn't learn at college or through our training there's a balance and there's a lot of really rich conversation that goes on between those people that have been in the business 25 30 years and those that have been in it two minutes how much do you think the people who've been here for 25 years learn from the people who've been here for two minutes? Oh, masses. Yeah. What, they, what they tend to find is, again, in dialogues when I've been talking to them about the, the youngsters that come through, is to say, oh, they know no boundaries. They don't think, oh, well, we can't do that because we tried that before and it didn't work, or we can't try this because we don't know what the landscape's like. It's, mm-hmm. it's unfettered thinking that comes from the youngsters and then the, the older people that have been in the business are loving that enthusiasm of looking at something through a new lens. You take the benefits of the two, you can get a good solution. 
Now you mentioned that they kind of come in and they don't they don't necessarily have an expectation of what the environment might be, or maybe the environment's not quite what their expectation mm. is. How, how, what is what is driving, I suppose, changes within the business with regards to work-life balance and flexibility? Because I think it's probably wrong to assume it's just, again, Gen Z coming in and having new demands and that forcing businesses to, to change. I think there's, there's an expectation from everyone that, that business should look a little bit different now. Absolutely, I think, I think you're right. Um, I don't like this whole sort of aspect of saying it's just millennials that mm. want to be able to have a have a job working for a brand, have their own brand that they're doing on the side, work from you know midnight to three in the morning, all of those sorts. Of, I don't think that is one generation. I think in the world that we live in today, because everything's so fast paced, because we have technology at our fingertips, we all want a better what I call work life blend. And how do you do that and do that effectively for all of your colleagues? We're putting in a lot of different flexible working opportunities for our staff. We're asking them to come to us. Recently, actually, I, I've got a, a really, really talented developer. He's in his late 50s, but he's done a hell of a lot of brilliant work. But he lives in Brighton. Mm. And the office that he works out of is in Crawley. And he's finding that ongoing trip too much of a drain when actually he's youngest daughter is about to go to secondary school he wants to be able to take her to school in her last years of primary school every day but then he's feeling guilty that's taking a whole hour out of his working day so you've got that conundrum in your head so we're sitting working with him at the moment saying okay so do you want to change your working hours or do you want to do uh, 10 days in nine days so compressed hours Mm. do you want to work from home more should we consider finding a like a uh, a co-collaboration working space in Brighton we've got a lot of staff that come from that area where we could say two days a week you can all work there because one of the bugbears of working from home is lots of people do want to work with other people yeah no I find that interesting because because I can see in, in a number of different organizations that kind of slight tension between yeah we want flexibility but at the same time we don't want an office that feels flat or looking at a lot of empty desks you want someone coming into an office where they feel that there's a bit of I don't know, a bit of team spirit about it and a bit of kind of, we're going somewhere. And more flexible working would seem to detract slightly from that at times. Flexible working doesn't always have to mean, though, that you're not in the office. No, of course. I know could that, be, yeah. you know, could be a shared job. So that that's happening a lot more within our environment, which I don't think would have happened maybe five, ten years ago, where you share a role between you. It's been quite commonplace in retail mm. or finance, but... Uh, I think it's quite new for technology, data, creative environment. Do you think businesses are still trying to get their head around exactly what that blend looks like and how best to manage it? Yeah, I do. And I, do, I don't think there'll ever be a fixed solution. I, I'm a great believer and have been for the, the 10 years I've been here. Uh, it has to work for the individual. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we'll have a mini version of that flexibility for everybody as and when they want it. If they come to me or if I can see they're struggling, we'll sit and we'll work out that plan for them. It has to work for the business as well, but I believe it plays back you know, tenfold. If you've got a happy employee, they're gonna be very loyal to you. They're gonna be very um, keen to want to do their job, do their job properly. Now, the tech industry is not the most diverse talent pool out there, unfortunately. Everyone's aware of that, but how do you see actual practical steps going to, to try and broaden the pool of which you're able to employ from? 
for me, this is one of my biggest bugbears on a couple of levels. Interestingly, within code, we have a very good uh, representation at leadership mm-hmm. on every level of, of diversity. But if you even if you just took gender, we've got a 50-50 split in our leadership team. What upsets me is when I look at the teams below that, where you're looking at probably a 70-30 split, male-female, but the guys don't want to do the leadership roles. The girls do. Yeah, I find this interesting because you said men don't want to be in management roles of tech teams. And I, that fascinated me because I, I hadn't actually heard anyone say that before. But then it depends who you're saying it to. Mm. If you ask a startup, it's probably been started by a guy. Or if it was a girl, the girl was probably asked to take a guy with her to get yeah. an investment. So there's that aspect at that very senior but, but even funding if, Even level. if I think about colleagues and, and my own experiences in office, work, workplaces, men tend to be a bit more, they tend to get a bit more attached to the title and to the status, I think, sometimes than women do. I don't disagree with that. I think it's more about the actual day-to-day management of teams. Mm. So we have a number of dev teams down in our Crawley office, and every time we've tried to put a guy in charge of them, they've gone, mm, I don't really, I don't like the managing of the people bit. I don't want to deliver bad news. I only want to deliver good news to the people that work for me. I don't want to have to face off to a client to say that actually they're being unreasonable and we're going to have to charge them more money or get into those commercial discussions. I came into this business because I'm a really passionate developer about doing the right thing with my coding and where it needs to go. The same for marketing science. A load of people that are like data scientists that almost... They are so driven by the passion of wanting to do the right thing, what AI offers them, how the different languages out there, out there offer them the speed to be able to change mm. things really quickly. They don't want to have to deal with people's holidays, people's sickness, dealing with clients or actually getting stuff delivered on time. That's a nuisance to delivering some fantastic great work. Now, they shouldn't, don't, don't um, misconstrue what I say in so much as, it shouldn't stop someone from aspiring to a higher title, a more lucrative package. And businesses, again, come back to that flexible working, need to think about how do we have diverse teams where we have great, talented subject matter experts that have got a similar title, ranking, kudos, package, the whole lot, no. as the person who's managing that team, but they don't have to manage people. No, don't, don't. Look, I... I look at myself and I often think that I wasn't a particularly good manager because I don't want to get distracted from what I want to do and I'm not very good at dealing with lots of different people. Yeah. So excel at what you do. Yeah. And and actually I always think it's, it's as much as it frustrates me in some regards, in another way I really appreciate it because people are being honest. Mm-hmm had a couple of people recently where they have they have felt the only way to move on was to become a manager so we did it in a very protected way one guy in particular really great brain brilliant at what he does in his discipline um, we gave him time we gave him support and after six months he came to me and said I can't do this I don't like all this other paraphernalia that I have to deal with quite frankly um, so I want to step away his view was he had to resign and I went, no, you don't have to do that. We'll just reorganise the team so that you can do what you want to do. And somebody else whose passion is managing and resourcing as well as doing their discipline. It does make me think of that kind of famous, I don't know whether it was Richard Branson originally, but that kind of quote, you know, if someone asks you to do something and you don't know how to do it, say yes and then figure out how to do it afterwards, which 
would seem to be a very male kind mm. of mindset of, yeah, well, I, I want that title, so yeah, I'll do it and then I'll figure it out later. Whereas maybe there's a case that there are women out there who maybe already have a lot of the skills to do the stuff that you're describing, but maybe don't aspire to the status in quite the same way. And I, I suppose that might mean that you don't have those women filtering through at the mid-tier of management? Yeah, I think I think they don't. You're absolutely right. I've seen it over a number of years. Is Guys will say, yes, I'll do it and I'll figure it out. Women won't do that because they don't want to fail. Yeah. They care too much, I think, emotionally. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that they don't want it. No, and therefore, they need to be given the, the, the safety net and the guardrails. I do a lot of talks with... Um, say 18 to 21 year olds across a number of different institutions. We have them come into the, the um, bank side here to see different agencies. And I will always do that initial talk. And the one thing I will say to girls and guys alike is wherever you are, however young, however inexperienced you are, if someone says we're gonna do such and such project, who's gonna raise their hand, raise your hand. Because you'll be terrified inside but you'll learn so much at the end. Mm. Never say no, always say yes, and that's how you'll get on. I think that's probably a good note to, to wrap up on, but thank you very much for your time. Uh, just back from holiday, so I assume you've got a lot on your plate today. <laughs> yes, I have. I had three <laughs> presentations to deliver by the end of today. <laughs> well, thank you for making some time to chat. Thanks, David. So, um, I think the first point for me to start on with this not to kind of hog the mic, but um, uh, I love that, you know, we, we mentioned apprentices before we led into the interview, that apprentices thought that the working environment would be a younger environment, but they appreciate learning from experienced staff. And the experienced staff really appreciate that younger staff know no boundaries. And so that dynamic is appreciated. I, I thought that was a right proper loving that, that was really, you know, wonderful. I liked it. I loved it. Yeah, and it's nice to hear that Gen Z still have prejudice for all of their amazingness <laughs> and I inclusivity and equality and fluidity. They still assumed, by and large, that a tech business would, wouldn't have older people in it. You know, <laughs> well, hang, on, hang on a minute. Who, who are that lot over there? What well, are they doing here? You know, you do. You bring your daughter today. Is this bring your granddad to work day or what? Yeah. <laughs> but, it's like, all right, all right, mate. You, you, you all right there? You still working? Yeah, you, uh, you're right booting that computer up, boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's it's really good. It, I mean, it sounds like an incredible culture and environment. Yes. It's got there, you know, this this cyclical nature of everyone learning from each other. You know, even the, you know, Gen Ys learning from Gen Zs. Us millennials mm. are probably in there pissing everyone off either side of us, you know. But Zs and Ys seemingly getting on and, and hitting it hard. M millennial, millennial, I can try it again. Millennials are now stuck in their ways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but they're not young enough to be dynamic anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. you know we're 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 the we're the Frankie Muniz, if you will, with the Malcolm in the middle at the moment, aren't we? Of <laughs> uh, this kind of like generational shift, where you know us uh, us true millennials, David, you, you are on the older side, but us millennials, we I do think we see ourselves more and more as Gen Z in that we're taking their motifs and carrying them forward with us. But mm. as with every generation, we're still stuck in the mud with certain things, and you know we will always probably assume that you know a bit of grey hair means you don't know how to get onto google chrome i don't know but hey well your gray hair is no bad thing but talking <laughs> of gray hair 
I, I, I really appreciate the fact that Carolyn made the point that we all want a better work-life blend. It's not just a young person thing. And that, that example of the developer in their late 50s uh, with a daughter who's at primary school, um, living in Brighton, working in Croydon, has a family life. Mm. And once that flexibility, you know, it's it's mm. not just Gen Z and millennials yeah. who are looking for flexible working arrangements. And why should it be, to be perfectly frank? Let's be um, honest. There's probably only a there, there is a proportion of millennials and a smaller proportion of Gen Zs that truly need flexible working. Like, and for me, flexible working came about because it should help parents with the school run, with children, and things like that. And I think. Flex, flexible working is geared at every generation, every person in the workforce, and it should mm. be suitable for everyone because that's its nature by name. Well, but I, to, to, to build on your point, we often think that people coming into the workplace want more flexibility, but you're right. There's actually less reason for them to want that. It, yeah. it does make total sense that someone who has more constraints on their time, probably because of family life, etc., and it's not just as, as you get kids, you might have older parents that you need to divide your time and yep. look after, yep. you know? Um, it makes more sense that they would want flexibility. So it, it, it is odd that we always talk about younger generation wanting that flexibility and ignoring the very real struggle and challenges that, that modern life places on the family unit as you get a bit older. Absolutely. I mean, Rosie and I talk about it already. We, we, we're going through the process of buying our first house and all the rest of it. And, you know, we're talking about getting a dog eventually. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that I can I can work remotely as much as I want. And that just means things like, and again, this is a very millennial issue, but we don't have to get a dog walker in every day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And true flexible working, I believe, is one of the key aspects of retaining staff. I, I truly do think that. Yeah. Now, Really interesting, isn't it? This this leadership 50-50 gender split. Oh, yeah. But below that, 70-30. Yeah. But the, but the men don't want the leadership roles. And and when I yep. said to when I said to Carolyn, oh, that's actually the first time I've heard that. That that genuinely was. Um you you imagine, and this is possibly a, a sign that I am getting stuck in my ways, that people want to climb that hierarchical career yeah. ladder. And that's clearly not the case. There are people who are SMEs in a particular area that love doing that and, and don't want to deal with all of the admin that comes with people. Well, I think we can we can get quite het up on on Carolyn's stat here. But what's better than, you know, why aren't the men going towards us and blah, 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 is that the women are. You know, the women uh, at CW are, are geared up, ready to go, ready to push for a promotion. And I think, you know, blokes there don't want to, you know, you think especially in the dev teams, a developer might not want to manage a load of people because that's just not in their makeup. They're there to do a job. They're there to do X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 blah. You know, and... A developer could be male or woman; it doesn't matter. But perhaps it's more role centric there rather than gender centric. Mm. But I, I think it's it's fascinating, isn't it, that they've managed to get that fifty fifty at the, the yeah. senior leadership level. But she is worried that there is that gender balance below, which means that somehow, whilst they are converting from the seventy thirty very well, mm. they're, they're not taking people at a very junior level through to that mid-tier. And it's that mid-tier where there's a, there's a bit of a break in the chain. So really interesting. And, and kind of talking about how companies respond to that, yeah. it kind of makes you ask the question, have companies figured out how to cater for people in a kind of a post-hierarchical age? Most companies are still very layered, right? We all talk about yeah. flat, flat organizations, but yep. many of them actually aren't in practice. 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard because hierarchical structures will work differently case by case. And you'd like to think that as a leader of business, as an MD as Carolyn is, you know, they kind of have sussed out what's going to work for them, what career progressions will work for their people and so on and so forth. I mean, yeah, it is it is surprising, but it's, it's hard to judge when, you know, it surprised you so much to hear this. It surprised me so much to hear this. You know, this is a relatively small sample size. If it was mm. indicative of a, 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 a all of London, all of the UK, then yeah. But I think perhaps, you know, CW, CW is just a place where women are progressing better, want to progress more and, you know, are, are, are ready and raring to go in that regard. Yeah. Look, anything else that you particularly wanted to, to touch on? I like the point that she makes about CW specifically and how they're um, how they're looking at a more predictive ac- approach uh, based on future trends. You know, other mm-hmm. than otherwise you end up optimizing what you've done rather than predicting for the future. And I think a lot, a lot of companies can learn from that. Some really interesting, insightful points in that interview. Um, big shout out to women in tech for taking <clears throat> us both to Paris and and introducing us to each other. So lots of love for Yumi and Candice uh, there. So. Really great to have you on the show, Carolyn. Um, thank you for being our guest. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about TikTok in our tech news. Once a month, Tech Talks opens the Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. So welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, As mentioned, we are talking about TikTok. This is taken from The Guardian today. Um, No, sorry, it was the end of last week, rather. Um, But TikTok's local moderation guidelines ban pro-LGBT content. Chinese-owned social media app bans such content even in countries where homosexuality has never been illegal. Let me read you out the first couple of paragraphs, Jack. So TikTok's efforts to provide locally sensitive moderation have resulted in banning any content that could be seen as positive to gay people or gay rights down to same-sex couples holding hands, even in countries where homosexuality has never been illegal. The rules, yeah, just wait, just just wait, just wait. The rules were applied on top of the general moderation guidelines first reported in the Guardian last Wednesday, which included a number of clauses that banned speech that touched on topics sensitive to China, including Tiananmen Square, Tibet, and Falun Gong. So ByteDance, the Beijing-based company that owns TikTok, says the moderation guidelines were replaced in May. Um, it goes on uh, to say strict guidelines, basically to, yeah. lots of different... Yeah, but shit. I, I am... Well, first of all, it's, it's terrifying yep. that an app that is as popular as TikTok has these kind of guidelines in place. Yep. Um, and I don't know what the reaction or the response should be to that because it's not something that I'm on. I'm sure it's not something that you're on. Nope. I, I don't know who's on it, but we know that it's wildly popular with teenagers and people in around the age of 20 years old. Mm. And they are probably not aware of these issues. And so much of your opinion of the world is shaped by your social circles and so many young people's social circles operate online, it's it's really scary that basically 
like bias in, bias out in AI, yep. the content that they're receiving is is imbalanced and is phasing out positive messages of tolerance. I mean, we all have uh, a, a relationship with the LGBT <clears throat> community, whether that's someone we know or, or someone we love or whatever. And I just think like everyone has that first instance in their life that they may or may not remember where, you know, homosexuality and, and so on and so forth is discussed or is noticed. And it's such a key point in, in a child's life. You know, for me, one of the earliest things I can remember is learning about Freddie Mercury and how he died at a very young age. And then obviously being of that age will young coming out as gay when he won pop idol and these things are so important and i mean the point i'm meandering to is the fact that tiktok will be a lot of you know kids are glued to this app a lot of people especially mm. in you know certain states in america and so on and so forth they'll be their first ever interaction with gay content or you know queer content and i just think i mean we can sit here till the cows come home and say about how vehemently disgusting this is but it's it's important. I mean, for, for me, the only thing that can happen is, you know, Gen Z or whoever are using it, stop using TikTok, you know, simple as that. But because it's not as ingrained in daily life like Facebook and even Twitter mm. and Instagram are, you know, we're talking about Vine 2.0, essentially. And where's Vine now? You know, so TikTok needs to be careful, I guess, but also uh, boycott it, man. Like, you wouldn't do that if if Facebook turned around tomorrow or Twitter turned around tomorrow and said, we're going to start um, limiting content, blah, 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 blah. No matter what it's about, people would get up in arms. TikTok mm. are new, new, to the, new to the market, new to the game. Boycott them motherfuckers. Yeah, and look, this isn't the first issue that TikTok's had in the last year. Uh, the NSPCC entirely critical uh, for, for right reasons around um, sexually explicit content of minors that was basically being flagged on the site. Um, it's got this policy of local censorship. And I just kind of feel like they, with great power comes great responsibility, Jack. Look, if you're going to oh. be a platform that's yeah. got this many users, you can't just, I don't know, have slanty shoulders and, and have local censorship and not be tight on on making sure that your platform is tolerant and is a place for creativity and where people can feel safe especially when you've got that many users you should take more of a responsible lead you know if we're thinking about dot everyone mm. think about the tech you're building don't just yeah. build it think about yeah. it yeah well well done tiktok you've just isolated a huge part of the western world hopefully now you're going to be boycotted and you will sink into dying just as vine did back in the day there we go anyway so we should, I don't know, we probably can't change a huge amount. We should start a campaign against TikTok. No, Dave, what, what we could do is get TikTok. ahead of the curve. No, we, we, we create our own TikTok and we say on there, you can share what you like. <laughs> I was quite I was quite pleased with TikTok, but never mind. TikTok, uh, yeah, 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 that worked, yeah. It's, it's off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, no, it works it's better than I can come up with. No, there we go. And you're a wordsmith. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy Arsenal tonight. Ooh. Yes, yes, I'm a bit worried, but hey-ho, never mind. And until Friday, we will talk to you all again. Cheery, bye.